This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 362. And the quote of the day is, consistency is not perfection. It is simply refusing to give up. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. Hope all is well in your world. This is 362 episodes. That's insane. Thanks for being a part of it. I do appreciate it. If you dig the podcast, please leave a rating or review. You can do that on iTunes. You know that. It's simple to do. It takes you about a minute, and it makes the podcast show up higher. And the search results, it lets people know about the podcast, and uh, it, it feeds my ego a little bit. So if you do that, uh, I would love you for it. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for the mailing list. You'll be up to date with all the stuff that gets released during the week because we're releasing three episodes a week now, so I don't want you to miss them. You can just go to drummersresource.com. Um, sign up there. It's free, obviously. And you'll get a copy of the ebook Stick Control Variations, which is just 11 creative exercises to help you with your speed, your independence, your chops, all that. Again, you can do that at drummersresource.com. Stay up to date with that. So this episode is, this is a really cool episode for me. This is with Lewis Marks. He is the CEO of rope dope Records. I actually met Lewis and he was at my hometown. He was from my hometown. Not necessarily from my hometown. His company was in my hometown town and we met a long time ago probably in the late 90s or even early 2000 maybe early 2000s we met uh when i was with my band monacy and and we've just developed this relationship over the years and have kept in touch and now to have him on here there's a couple of reasons one he represents the independent side of the record label business so i want to hip you guys to that also he has a lot of drummers on his label he has robert spot Seawright, he has nate smith um he has has Killiam Shakespeare, which which has Steve McKee on there. He has Spanky McCurdy, a ton of other great drummer, ton, ton of amazing bands on the label as well. But it seems like a lot of drummers sign with him as well, which I think is super cool. So we talk about the difference between the indies and the and the the big labels, and we talk about how Robodope went through a big transitional period, how you know they almost lost everything, how they restarted, and just a really interesting conversation. A lot of advice from a guy who has been in this business for a very long time and a hometown hero of mine from uh from there in downingtown pennsylvania so without further ado let's get into it with the one and only lewis marks lewis marks my man how are you hey nick how you doing I'm well. I'm well. I was just thinking. I was trying to think this morning how long we've known each other, and I think, man, it's got to be. It's got to be at least like 12 years, 15 years, maybe something like that. Might even be a few more than that. We might go back to the last century. We may. We may. <laughs> so backstory: You and I met. You had. Uh, you had the. Re- you had a clothing line and the record label. You were in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. I was in Thorndale, Pennsylvania, Coatesville, Pennsylvania area. I had a band that was playing in Westchester all the time. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't even know how that I found out that you guys were there. I, th- I know how I found out my brother ordered a shirt from the roots yeah. and he got it and he goes, what the hell? This came from Downingtown. And I said, no, it didn't. And he's like, yeah, and we've, and somehow we narrowed it down and figured it out that, that you guys were, were shipping the, the shirts. And that's how I found out about you. And I was like, oh, I got to know who this guy is. 
There you go. <laughs> so how did it all start for you though? Like how did, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know the story with you and how did you get into it in the first place? Well, I mean, it, I, I won't bore you with the backstory, which it, it may be for another episode, but at some point in the late mid nineties to late nineties, I found myself in downtown Pennsylvania with my clothing company. And really what we did was tie-dye t-shirts and we made tie-dyes for a lot of people. And that grew to such a point that we opened a 10,000 square foot factory uh, by the railroad tracks in uh, Downingtown uh, in the old Pepperidge Farm building. And I mean, at one point we had like 27 employees who were making like a half a million tie-dyes a year for Harley Davidson and Bloomingdale's and all these different people. And uh, one day an artist came in and said, uh, somebody was doing graphic design for us and said, uh, there's this guy I met, you know, and I, I think you should, I think you should meet him. And, uh, he works with this record label called Ropadope. So the dude came in and he and he said, uh, you know, uh, I'm looking for somebody to print T-shirts for me, and I'm looking for somebody to uh, open up uh, e-commerce sites, which you know in 2001 was not very common. Right. Uh, and in classic style, I said, yeah, I'll do that. So he said, what part? And I said, all of it. Yeah, like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> so the minute we started doing that for Ropadope. Um, everybody wanted in, uh, people like, uh, okay player, mm -hmm. uh, meaning uh, they wanted you to, to print their shirts and do their order fulfillment for it or all, all everything. Yeah. The same thing. Print, you know, help with design, help with uh, vision, help, uh, print the shirts, uh, pick, pack the orders, manage the e-commerce site. So uh, were you guys building the sites too? Uh, we were. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we had DJ Shadow, The Roots, OK Player, uh, Al Green, Disco Biscuits, uh, Def Jux, Duck Down Records. It just it just kept on going. Mm -hmm. So we you know we kind of built a whole new business inside that inside that business, and it was fun. But you were never thinking at the I mean, were you interested in music or anything, or were you like trying? Not that you weren't interested in music, but were you looking to get into the music business by any means? Well, I think what I was doing was was looking at my existing business and realizing that you know what is what is the logical end to this thing, you know, twenty seven people, uh, you know, becoming a becoming a mass market factory uh, with shrinking margins. So I had my eyes and ears open on you know what else I might do. Sure. Uh, I mean, I really only built that. I loved making tie dyes, but it became you know manufacturing. It became you know the only way to continue in those kinds of businesses is to grow, grow, grow. Right. I guess you were thinking, all right, we got to figure out something next. And it just so happened that because you sort of you were serving like it became like this niche market, right? You were serving all of these uh, all of these bands and labels and and making mm -hmm. all these shirts for all these people. And then I'm guessing word quickly spread. So it becomes it becomes this whole entire entity by itself. Yeah, well, not too many people were doing it then. And of course, you know, there was there were you know, the pundits were all talking about the demise of the, the record business, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about, you know, iTunes came out and they're like, oh, nobody's going to make albums in the future. So merch is the way. And you had all these uh, this whole crop of uh, Internet pundits coming out, you know, talking about how the music business was dead and that bands are going to have to find another way to make money. And so merchandise was key and they did, you know, make some good money. They just didn't know how to do it. I, either the e-commerce or the, uh, you know, when I say merchandising, I mean, sort of like merchandising, that's not just a souvenir t-shirt. Right. 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 So, you know, there were two things that were needed at the time. Uh, so it grew pretty rapidly. How steep was the learning curve for you? Well, I had a, a lot of background in the clothing business. Sure. So that was easy. The e-commerce was 
the tech side was probably the toughest part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the pick and pack stuff was pretty, it's pretty easy. You just figure out the, the most efficient way. That wasn't too difficult. Right. The, one of the steepest parts of the learning curve was the fraud thing. And we, we don't even remember it now, but, you know, you how many orders were coming from Nigeria and <laughs> overseas that weren't real? People were stealing credit cards and buying Roots t-shirts. <laughs> It took us a minute to figure out, you know, don't ship to that country, you know, really? that's a fraud order. Yeah. Why are the, they, uh, which doesn't make any sense. We're, we're, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I would imagine they're, what are they testing the credit card to see if it still works and then they're going to use it for something else. Like I'm guessing they don't really want root shirts in Nigeria and they're stealing credit cards to get them. Are they? You know, I think back then they were, they were like, you know, <laughs> let's just insane. buy whatever. Let's just buy whatever we can and see if it shows up, you know? Right. It's just like we can get some free stuff. Right. You know? and and there's yeah. not a ton of people in Nigeria that have Roots t-shirts, so. <laughs> yeah. Or we caught on. They were doing great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that's so comical to me, but. Uh, but it... <laughs> so when did the, so you guys were operating pretty much as two separate companies though, right? You had the record label and the clothing line separately or were they running together, but. Yeah. So, so what, well, Robodope is a client of mine at that point of, of my company Bonsai. So, but there was a Robodope records, Robodope music entertainment, and also Robodope industries. Robodope industries was our client. Uh, we really didn't do much at first with the music side of the business, but as we started, you know, Robodope became, uh, really our biggest customer on that side of the business. And especially when we, uh, put together the, uh, blue note clothing line, mm-hmm. That drove a lot of traffic to Ropadope. So, yeah, they were really our biggest customer. And it was pretty persistent, you know, the, the, the calls for assistance, uh, the cries for help from the, <laughs> from the music side of the business. Right. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's now pretty well documented, the slide in sales of CDs from, say, 2003 to 2008. Right, right. So how, how do you go from being having Ropadope as a client to, you know, those two companies coming together and you becoming the head of it all. Right. It's all, it's all fairly simple and, and, and it's got a little bit of a mystical element to it. So we were not unfamiliar with uh, Ropadope needing some assistance and we were working very hard to help build the clothing company. Just, just like I said about bands, you know, the merchandise was a big key as part of the label uh, in revenue. But, uh, you know, fast forward to the summer of uh, 2005, and Rope It Up is preparing a couple of releases. Um, They had gone through a process of a potential buyout, which fell through, uh, and they were preparing King Brit Presents Sister Gertrude Morgan for release in the fall of 2005. And I, I think that release date was like the Tuesday, the first Tuesday in September, and Hurricane Katrina hit uh, on August 28th. Right. Uh, and that really put a real sense of urgency into the whole situation. Um, and how, how so? Well, I mean, it was a New Orleans-based record, uh, and a lot of the hope was on that record. But, the, you know, the, the severity of the situation and the, you know, all hands went to, let's, you know, let's let, not sell a bunch of records, but let's see what we can do to help New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we collaboratively launched the Renew Orleans T-shirt line, raised about a hundred grand, and sent it down to New Orleans through uh, Preservation Hall and through through their through a nonprofit associated 
uh, or started by Ben Jaffe. Um, and, you know, the, the books were not looking great. Um, I don't, that record underperformed out of the gate, partially for that reason. And uh, so in conversation with the guys, uh, you know, they, they, had a, they had another potential uh, suitor, but they didn't really care much for the deal. And I said, well, look, you know, I wanted to keep them going, obviously, because, you know, we needed that customer. But I also believed in the company and everything they'd done and, and said, look, I'll, I'll jump in and, 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 uh, and uh, purchase the company and take on uh, any obligations that the company has. Uh, but uh, you guys will run it and uh, we'll, we'll see where, you know, we'll see what we can we can do to, to move out of this mm -hmm. this situation. Well, because, I mean, aside from the, the merchandising side and all that, you didn't know much about the music business, right? You don't know. You didn't know. like Nothing. How Absolutely to, nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Um, That's a blunt way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a thing. Not right. a thing. I, I remember my first meeting with some cats at a company in New York after, after I came on board as CEO and owner. And uh, there had to be about seven or eight people around the meeting, all of which were making more money than I was, I'm sure. Uh, and I asked a question, what did they, somebody said, though, the, the, the album's going to be dead because of iTunes selling singles. And I kind of raised my hand like I was in class and was like, when, when? <laughs> they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, they said that in 2001, it's 2006 now. Like, when is the album going to be dead? Right. <laughs> and somebody got, you know, the dude got a little, little salty with me or condescending and he's like let me explain something about the business and i responded and said hold on a sec um is the business working right and he said well you know everybody's kind of like rah, rah, rah. i'm like then please don't tell me anything <laughs> right. because i don't want to learn how to i don't want to learn everything you know and then try to pivot back to something that will work sure you sure. know because what gets in the way of new ideas often is is old ideas mm-hmm so this so, is all an interesting concept, the idea of how you're, you're learning, you had to learn e-com, you had to figure out the tech side of that, then you get into the music business, you have to figure out the music business. And this may be a loaded question, but there is there is there a way that you learn things? I mean, is there, is it, is it just learn by doing? Did you get books and read all of this stuff? Like, I think understanding how to learn is a really important skill that maybe a lot of people don't have. Well, man, you just you just hit it right there, and it's not something that I really knew at the time. I mean, it takes a health a healthy amount of, of stupidity to jump into things uh, or tolerance for risk, I guess. Even even, but I always tell the story, and and, and this is this is all rearview mirror stuff. Realizing this over time, mm -hmm. uh, my father was very uh, uh, skeptical of of educational systems, mm -hmm. uh, even though we did go to school. He taught us quite a bit at home. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he used to do, you, you'd be like five years old and, he, and, he, and he'd say, how high is the ceiling? And you had to answer the question. And if you got up and went and got a measuring tape, you were done. It was <laughs> over. You had to guess. Really? And, and, you know, in retrospect, the point was think, mm -hmm. you know, le learn from your thought process, not from uh, pre-thought thoughts, right. you know? Multiple choice is, is the death of, you know, of, of real thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's, you know, I think in everybody in my family, 10, 10 kids and all entrepreneurs, that that was a key. Oh, real? All 10, all 10 kids are entrepreneurs? Uh-huh. Yep. That's pretty awesome. I've held two jobs in my life outside of my own work. One was at a car wash for a day. 
uh, and the other one was uh, at Greenpeace. So, which I don't know that that's really a normal job, but it's just not, it's just not something we did. Right. I get it. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Everybody in my family is an entrepreneur. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And so, so yeah, you think. And so when I learned like, stupidity is part of it, you jump into things that you, you, you know, you jump into the deep end and you don't know you can handle it, but you learn by assessing. I mean, I do, I do research. I, you know, mm-hmm. I read, uh, but I put on a pretty healthy filter, you know, and, and it's funny how important this is in 2017 as compared to back then, you know, the first is who wrote this, what's their intention. Mm-hmm. And the second is what, you know, what, what are the traditional, uh, taglines in here? You know, what are, what are the try, you know, the, 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 the boring and repetitive quote truths that a person is re- reciting here or, and, and is there any actual real information that's right. useful? Right. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I, the internet's great. I read, I read all the time. So I did learn about this stuff, but I'll, but, but then, you know, picking out the things that I thought were relevant and then applying them and making mistakes. What's your take on or your advice for assessing? Because I think you can learn all this stuff and then you're, you say, okay, this is, this is what I need to do to, to, you know, whether it be to become a better drummer or to, you know, to, I don't know, to, if you're trying to achieve something and you're working towards it and you've learned all the stuff that you need to learn, you start working on it. Do you have some sort of, do you have a way of, of assessing things and sort of creating like a feedback loop of, of how you're assessing things and, and reevaluating and iterating and reevaluating and assessing. Right. Um, well, I mean, that is, that is an interesting question. I, I want to point out because, because, you know, people, people are going to listen to this, that my, my particular perspective is, is always unorthodox. And I, and I'm not a very, I don't call myself a successful businessman in the American sense of the term. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways to learn and assess that match what works in the culture. Uh, so the first part of assessment is knowing myself. And I know that I'm always, while I think I'm trying to grow a business and make money, I'm always going to make, I'm always going to assess based on a filter that is rebellious or different. It's contrarian, I think is the, is the mm-hmm. thing because it suits me. Um, I assess everything by thinking it's bullshit. Um, <laughs> And then seeing if it's if it's contrarian, if it's if it if it if it if it conflicts with a bu- a, something I've heard a bunch of times, then it, then it piques my interest. Mm-hmm. And I, that was not a, a very that was a very painful way of of learning and assessing for a long time. But it just so happens that right now in our culture, it's actually kind of useful mm-hmm. because you have an entire system that is. I think failing. So yeah. does that, does that answer your question? It does, it does 100%. And, and the, the reason why I ask these questions is because, you know, this podcast is for drummers, but it's also how can we take the lessons that we're learning from people in the music business, drummers, you know, other musicians, record execs, whoever, and the way that they learn, the way that they assess problems, the way that they, they improve their lives, whatever it is, how can we, how can that affect not just our drumming, but how can it affect our, our day-to-day lives? And I think that we we have all these goals that we want to achieve or we want to do something, but and we have this plan. And then when we go into the studio or we go into practice or we start embarking on this career and it's not working, the thing that I think a lot of people lack is how to assess, realistically assess what's going on learn how to get better and how they can make the necessary changes to keep moving forward instead of fizzling out. 
Right, right. Yeah, and you know, as you say that, it, it tells me it's it is kind of exactly the same thing. And I mean, I've had the good fortune of of uh, interviewing or spending time talking with uh, quite a few musicians and and some drummers. Um, yeah, you have a lot of drummers on your label. We do. Most recently, the one that comes to mind was talking with Shannon Powell. Um, it's kind of the same thing in that. I mean, I guess you you've got to learn the technique and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but un, un, until you can throw that off and find your space, you're not done, right? Yeah, <laughs> and that you know that that's kind of. I just happen to have thrown off all the technique and discipline right from the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> so I never really learned how to do anything, <laughs> you know. But 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 it's valuable. Yeah. You know, it's valuable to, 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 to throw that off. And a lot of musicians do say that to me. It's like, you know, you can learn how to do it the way, the way, uh, everybody does it, but then you gotta, you gotta throw all that out at some point. Yeah. It's, you know, the idea of you can go look at every drum book and watch every YouTube video and go to every drum clinic or, you know, whatever it is. But if you are not, if you're not playing live, if you're not honing your own thing, if you're not, you know, working on your voice, you're just going to. You're going to be a copy and repeater and you're probably, you may fall into the same mistakes as other people, or you're going to be doing things and you don't even know why you're doing them. You're like, well, everyone else does them. So that's, that's what I'm doing. And it's like, yeah, well, why, what's the, what, what's the outcome here? Are you, are you actually doing the things that you need to be doing to get where you want? So, yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about the label now. Um, Again, like we mentioned, you have a lot of you have a lot of drummers. You have um, I know you have Sputz on on your label, right? Sputz, uh, yeah. yeah, he's on there. Nate Smith is on there. Uh, Spanky McCurdy's on there. Um, um, uh, why is his name escaping me from Killiam Shakespeare? Um, Steve McKee. Steve McKee. Who? Uh, so all these guys. I've had all these guys uh, on the podcast. Thankfully, I'm. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, they've all been gracious enough to spend some time with me. Um, so we already know that you, you love drummers, so you're in good graces here, but, uh, I'll, I'm going to name a few more while we're here. If go I ahead. Can jump. Yeah. Ollie Hal in yeah. London, uh, Shannon Powell, I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, uncle nephew. Um, I'm just want to, uh, see if there's any, uh, uh, Barbara Duncan from JJX. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there's more, but I at least wanted to throw those in there. You guys Sorry. Are- you guys got a special place in my heart, man. You guys are you guys are like the the drummer's uh, record label. <laughs> I love it. And Nate's a new sign, right? Recently, right? Nate uh, came out last uh, early spring. Yeah, uh, the Kinfolk currently record. nominated for a couple of Grammys, and we're, mm-hmm. we got our fingers crossed and hopes for uh, a couple of weeks from now. That's awesome, man. He's such a superhuman being, and a, I mean, he's an amazing player too, but just an amazing guy too. Let's talk about the. I mean. We don't have to state the obvious, right? The landscape has completely changed in the record business, and it's it's completely different than it is now. Where where do you fall on on the line of optimism versus pessimism of where where the industry is going? And do you think there's more or less opportunity now for artists? Oh my God, I'm 100 percent in the optimist call. Yeah, I mean, so so let's break that down for a second. So you know, we we are here in 2017, and the world is changing. Right. And one of the key things that's changing is how we assess value. So, you know, it's so 20th century to strictly assess, you you know, your sense of optimism on where a business is going based on what the dollars are. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So once you start to bring in other factors, uh, 
uh, about a business as an as an ecosystem and and an, you know that isn't just about how much money you made. Right. Uh, and that's not to say that money isn't an important part of it. It's just to say that you can't. You know, capitalism likes to define things strictly on dollar value, right? Mm-hmm. That's they have us all <laughs> buying things and 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 going to work to make more money. What do they uh, say? You go to work, you go to a job that you hate to buy stuff you don't need to impress people you don't like. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah, and your life is the rest of it, right? But we're starting to assess things. We're starting to assess things in a in a in a fuller way, like we did, you know, hundreds of years ago before this this concept of. Of, of strictly chasing dollars uh, happen, right? So the, the 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 music business right now, or the music community right now, uh, is very vibrant. Uh, at least from where I sit, um, there are some incredible uh, uh, visionary uh, leaders uh, in the music business that are picking up the mantle not only of what it means to be pr- progressive in uh, in your art. But also to be progressive in uh, in, in technology mm-hmm. and progressive in community uh, and with social justice. So, like, there's this this emerging amazing community uh, that is more connected than ever, uh, growing and 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 uh, you know changing the world. I mean, you know, it's funny we say change the world. Like, you know, I, I mean, if I if I break a glass, I change the world. There's one less glass, right? So <laughs> we don't have to think about it in like, you know, everything has to change today. But but right. there, this right. stuff is happening. I mean, and I, I can run down the list on the label. You know, I mean, Christian Scott and Terrace Martin, first two come to mind. Nate Smith is another. These, these people are ambassadors. Uh, they're communicating with uh, their fans on a level that they mm-hmm. have not before. They're each one teach one. Uh, teaching younger people. Mm-hmm. There's an incredible set of people coming up uh, who uh, have had YouTube their whole life and, and can play by the time they're 10 and just need to learn context and theory. Right. Uh, um, so, yeah, it's incredibly dynamic and wonderful. Now, you know, is it easy? No. And right. and is it is it going to grow financially? It'll grow financially, but the same thing can easily happen that happened before and, and seems to already be happening is that power can be consolidated in the hands of a few people who become gatekeepers who lose touch with what actual creative, you know, what real music is and then can't figure out why, why the well ran dry. Right. Um, you know, you've got big powers like Apple music and Spotify and Pandora who, uh, you know, if you have to put out on your website, how you support independent, you know, stuff all the time and talk about your love of the music uh something's wrong because mm-hmm. it's not doing so i could easily drift off on that uh so there, there are negative parts of the business but well, of course sure but most of them center around the dollars uh not around the creativity and the community mm-hmm. so i put myself right in the optimist column so the the interesting thing about nate smith is so i think i first saw nate maybe in 2000 I don't know, 2009, maybe something like that. I saw him on a YouTube video and I just randomly was searching and saw him and the impact that he's had that, or let me, let me rephrase that the impact that social media has had on his career and that he's had on his own career through what he's doing through social media is amazing. And he could have never done that 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you know? So there, to me, I look at that and I say, okay, that's that's the positive side. On the negative side, Nate Smith gets, you know, I, I have no idea what his numbers are. I'm just making this up. He gets 
you know, 250,000 streams on Spotify, then that's not, I don't think that's just, that's not enough to pay the bills. But if he sold 250,000 records, that would be, that would be a decent chunk of change. So now, so where, where are the record labels making money now? Because like you said, it's not the most important thing, but it is a thing that, that has to be that, that, you know, it's a business and people need to get paid and, and we have expenses. So how, how is the modern label making money? Well, I can't speak to any other label. Um, I can tell you how, how we survive. Mm -hmm. Again, it's a question of that. It comes back to a question of values. So I don't define the success of the label strictly in monetary value. Sure. Um, but, and, and I, and I also, as part of that philosophy, uh, you know, we're, we're in a beautiful building here, uh, along the railroad tracks in Haddon Heights, New Jersey. And people ask me all the time, you know, where are you, LA, New York? Like I'm in neither of those places. I'm in a place you've never heard of by the railroad tracks and we really dig it. And everybody comes down here and they really dig it. Um, we don't have a lot of expenses. It's that simple, you know, mm -hmm. keep it really tight to the vest. I mean, rent, you know, for rope it up world headquarters is $1,200 <laughs> a month, you know? Right. Um, and so, uh, but, but that's, you know, the reason for that is not because I want to keep it close now until we grow and we can have that fancy office. The reason is because I recognize the reality of the business and I put value on other things or I recognize the value of other things. So that's how we survive. We survive by keeping it close, by working hard. I mean, you know, a friend of mine said to me once, said, uh, you know, I see what you do. You know, you, 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 uh, you work about twice as hard as you need to get about half the money and uh, that's okay for you. It's <laughs> good enough. You know, and it's kind of, that kind of sums it up. Um, that's how we survive. Um, it's a, it's a battle every time we try to connect directly with fans, uh, on behalf of artists and we try to encourage people to support the artists and earn our keep that way. Um, we definitely would like to see streaming rates go up. Mm -hmm. Um, the general premise there is uh, that you can sell, you know, you can stream more as more subscribers come online. And I think that it is a growth market in that sense. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of people making money off of music um, that aren't really that vested in it. Uh, on the flip side, that's where everybody's buying. So, you know, you kind of have to go there. Um, and, a, and, a, and a third way for us to survive as far as, you know, moving forward. Uh, we try to educate people. Um, I, I think we're in a, you know, certainly a lot, some people call us a jazz label. And I think in jazz, there hasn't really been uh, a very welcoming vibe to people who don't understand jazz. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're constantly trying to break that wall down and, and, and reach out to people with uh, something that's accessible to them and bring them in and discuss, you know, uh, the finer points. Mm hmm. Uh, and get people used to to listening to this to the style of music, and then of course their appetite increases. It's not dissimilar to something like uh, good wine uh, or uh, microbrew. Right. Uh, uh, people have to learn and develop a taste for a certain kind of music. Uh, but people buy, you know, people buy microbrews mm -hmm. now, and, yeah. and and McDonald's is still open. Mm -hmm. So you know. Um, yeah, that's all I had to say. About so, that. I, so where I mean, and I don't want to get too deep into like financials and all that stuff. But where, but where does the where does the bulk of the revenue come now if it's not coming from if it's not it's not coming from unit sales, right? 
Oh, yeah. No, no. Streaming has grown. So sales are not down. Uh, downloads have plummeted uh, in the iTunes ecosystem and, and other right. download spots. Uh, but streaming has increased enough to cover that. And streaming is definitely uh, growing. Mm-hmm. We have some interesting things. Uh, and I tell artists this a lot. Um, you know, every day is release day. So these days, because there's any day that you that something pops up on your Spotify or, or Apple Music feed by suggestion, uh, or even if you Shazam it when you hear it somewhere, that's the day that you found out about that music. That's that's the release day. So right. those kinds of things can really drive uh, growth and revenue for a given artist. Getting on a playlist, even if it's a user playlist, um, a lot of people are tastemakers now and have their own playlists. And you know, word of mouth actually works. So when somebody's streaming something and more people start streaming it, we're seeing the revenue. Okay. Uh, it's not enough. It's not. It's not as much as we want. Of course. I mean, yeah. look, we we don't have it as tough. You know, we're in a small office. We do our work. We work hard. That's fine. But artists are out on the road all the time, so they have to balance a lot of things in order to do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they could definitely use uh, more revenue, especially when it comes to going into the studio and making records. Right. That's right. the real. That's the toughest part, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the bigger labels are all getting their artists to just sign three sixty deals, and for people who are listening who don't know what a 360 deal is it's just a deal where they get a piece of everything they get your touring they get your merchandising they get your download or your streams they get i mean anything is is encapsulated in that 360 deal right i i guess nick yeah it's what i've heard yeah <laughs> i love that you don't know like that you're not part of that i i you know people tell me things and i usually ask them to stop you know right right again there's no way for me to to build something that's that's sustainable and new if i if i know how the old one works yeah i like that attitude i like that attitude it's kind of like a taste i think this is bad taste it yeah oh this is horrible smell this thanks (laughs) so what do you what advice do you have for people who who are maybe in a band and they are trying to make a career out of this do you think that they should sign with a you know they should try to sign with a label like you or or should they go out alone? Because I know everyone's like, oh, it's hard now. The gigs are drying up. Like, you don't need a record label. Um, I Like, streaming is killing it. So I'm going to get a day job and just play music on the weekend. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that is a big question. And I want to answer that with extreme care uh, and, and not ramble. I want to say first a real honest look at what the business is and what your intent is in order. We don't you know, jump on a train or a plane without having a destination, uh, don't mm-hmm. do it in the music business. There are a lot of different musicians out there, and it's not really necessarily a, a just about like what your skill level is or, or desire. It has to do with what are your goals around family, where do you, you know, how far do you want to travel, how hard do you want to work, you know, have a nice assessment of all those things. And then the one thing that you're just not going to be able to avoid is being an entrepreneur. Uh, if if you're a musician, um, mm-hmm. very few musicians uh, have the luxury. And people can argue uh, nowadays that you know I have to be a businessman and a and a uh, a musician. They don't go together. Well, let me tell you, when you talk about the people who signed contracts back in the day, everybody blames it on the record labels. But honestly, if you walked in and signed the contract without knowing what it was, you know you weren't doing good business. Right. Um, maybe if you went and had you know had saw it and said, well, there's the only way for me to do it. That's one thing. But, you know, you need to know uh, what your business is about. You need to know what the legalities of it are. And you need to, to be as realistic as you possibly can. Uh, 
Uh, and the reality of the business right now is that one particular method doesn't work. You have to do a bunch of things. You got to play. You got to teach. Um, uh, recording is part of a build for your profile. And it's mm -hmm. also uh, something that can grow. But the likelihood that your album is going to be a big hit, that's those are very slim numbers. It's right. simple math. You can just go online and Google it and look at the math. Uh, it's right there, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So hopefully that was concise. No, it was. What do you think about the the ability for anyone to sort of sit in their room and record a record and it could be horrible, but they can still put it out. They can put it on Spotify. They can put it on iTunes. They can put it on YouTube. They can put it on Instagram. So they pretty much have the same distribution as Sony or Ropadope or Universal. And there's, although, you know, we, I think you and I are on the same page where we say we're not, we're not big into gatekeepers, right? Because I could never have my business right now. Like I basically have a radio show, right? That I broadcast myself, which couldn't have been done 15 years ago. And there's no one that had to approve it. There's no gatekeepers. I just put it out and the market tells me if it's good or bad. So do you think that all of these artists putting out uh, independent releases that are, for lack of better words, poor, um, do you think that, that it's making the the water mucky a little bit and not letting other things come through? Well, there are a lot of, lot of factors in there. And that uh, was an extremely uh, long-winded, not very concise question, so I apologize. No, I get it. It's 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 a it's a it's a big question. Um, so there there are there are a few levels. The first one I want to address is that if you want to create something, it's so great that you can just create it now. Mm -hmm. um, per, I'll make a personal statement about this. I personally am looking for feeling in music. So theoretically, it doesn't matter whether someone's making something in their bedroom or they recorded at Avatar. If the feeling is there, it's going to come through and I'm going to respond to it. Mm -hmm. Now, all that said, you know, I also have ears, right? So <laughs> it is good when the recording is good. And, and you know, you can have really bad recording from uh, a top studio because they've compressed it and, and over-refined something and taken all the feeling out of it. Mm -hmm. So you know, somewhere in the middle is the good zone for recording. So that's something that is applicable. Um, regarding distribution, I mean, you know, just because it's out in all the outlets doesn't mean that the distribution is the same. And I think what's missing is the definition between who's a gatekeeper and who's actually like a team or community uh, helper in, mm -hmm. in your process as part of a network. We all need each other, and when you're trying to just put stuff out in your bedroom and push it out to the world, context might be lacking. Mm -hmm. And I really do wonder whether or not, like, what the what the percentage is there of of what you know who who is particularly successful at that versus who's not successful at it. Like, I don't right. think we even know. But I'm a strong advocate for uh, networking into the world and building collaborative groups. And so I think that somewhere in the middle is the right answer. It's not going to a uh, top major label because certain things get lost, uh, like what art you want to put on the cover, for example. 
um, or how long your song's going to be, or you know things like that, because because they they may they have a particular model that works for them, and then you have to fit into that model. Um, and and the other end is doing whatever you want without any advice or strategic planning or you know it's kind of like fixing your car by yourself perhaps you know mm-hmm. uh, so I, I I like the middle ground and I believe in building the middle ground uh, that's what independent labels are about or yep. at least that's what this independent label is about is trying to uh, connect artists and connect people who do care about the music and and build something so I, you know I'd say middle ground on that one. Mm-hmm. Mm, that makes sense convoluted answer no i don't think so and uh, that would be i'm guessing your advice for someone who's trying to shop a label right so one would i mean i would think okay let's figure out what labels the best set the best label for you if you're you know depending on your genre and depending on like you said what your end game is going to be but if someone feels that they have a strong product and they they think the album is good or they think they at least have some some good demos that they want to try to flesh out do you suggest that they try to shop some labels? I do. First thing that has to happen is what do you want in a record label? I, you know, it's a, it's a funny question. I mean, you'd be stunned at how many people call without knowing the answer to that question mm-hmm. or email. Right. Uh, I get vague things like, oh, you know, the, the next level or blow up or <laughs> increase my profile. Like those are very vague statements. What is the record label going to do for you? What? Right. How do they work? What do they do? If you have the answers to some of those questions and you know what you're looking for, then it's time to approach a label. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for the other ones. I'm sure there are many good labels. I, I know very simply that the more you know walking into any kind of negotiation or discussion or collaboration – uh, the, the, the better, the better your chances of getting <laughs> something productive happening sure. out of it. Sure. So yeah, I think labels serve as people who know the game, mm-hmm. people who, uh, have reputation or a profile respect of radio programmers and press people and fans, uh, if they're doing it right. So it's good to associate yourself with some some platform that you know is is going to uh, open up emails for you, mm-hmm. open up doors or open up emails. So then it doesn't matter. So if it, so if it matches what your goals are and you know what those are, then whatever that label is is gonna is gonna be right. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I can't speak to the majors. I'm not I'm not in favor of major labels, but I I call that the entertainment business. I don't I don't see that as really the music business. Yeah. There is a a product and sell it, you know, say that again, they package a product and sell it. And, and, and all of their marketing is, is to convince the consumer that this is the stuff that the consumer is supposed to be listening to. Mm -hmm. That's completely different than, uh, going out and finding people who are interested in the music that, that an artist creates. Right. Right. And it's amazing because they're, they have so much, power that it's just i mean if if every radio station in the world started playing nate smith's record right you know and that's all you heard anywhere you went and it was you know it was just jammed down your throat and it was on every tv commercial and every and then that's what everyone would listen to you know well I, which yeah, would be a good I, thing because it's a great record but <laughs> right well but, you know but like I, you said like they just they it's whatever they think that you should be listening to that's what you hear yeah, this this is this is really interesting. Uh, you know, I love your questions, and and it's it just takes me into a, an, an incredibly philosophical territory. 
you know, I, I think you're right. I mean, and it's proven that if people hear the same thing several times, then they're going to be more likely to gravitate towards something similar to that the next time. That's going to be the music that they like. Philosophically, it's just the wrong way. <laughs> you know, music is, is a sacred thing. This is, this is not a, you know, this is not a taco or <laughs> a car. Like, um, you know, we, we, we need this to survive as, as humans on this planet. And it brings all kinds of amazing things. So certain people who create music are therefore sacred to us, right? So really what the business people should be doing is trying to teach the audience not to, to buy something that they repeated several times, but to respect the people that make this music and to be explorative and, and, and interested in it and support it mm -hmm. for the future of humanity. Now, that, that's pretty idealistic stuff right there, but I'm going to tell you, that's it. I I'll like stand it. that statement till the end. So, yeah, there you go. Can't say anything better than that. Well, then we're then. That was my final question. Uh, but I do have, I do, I actually have one more question. Uh, in in terms of new releases that are coming out, some stuff that you guys are working on now. Uh, what what do you what should people be checking out? I want every. I mean, I'll link to to all of your. You know, I'll link to Rope It Up and all that stuff, so people can check out all the all the releases and everything. But what do you guys have sort of cooking right now that you're excited about? There's a lot. I'll give you some rapid fire. But what's the air date of the podcast? The air date will be um, next Friday, so January. Uh, what's that? I mean, I could you know I could put it out. I could put it out this Friday, January January nineteenth. Sure, that's anything that's not announced yet. <laughs> okay. So first of all, two thousand seventeen was an amazing year. You mentioned Nate Smith, but there's sixty seven other records uh, on the list that say that the say. Tell me, can you repeat the stat that you told me beginning when we were off air about how many records you guys put out? We've put out. 209 records in the last four years that's insane it's crazy and we've got at least 45 to 50 queued up for this year coming wow. so wow. but i'd recommend just go go to any rope dope record in 2017 and 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 uh and just make a playlist and just grab any track and put them all together i'll bet you it'll play nice nice uh, coming up in 2018 uh, uh todd clauser john medeski uh jt bates mm -hmm. uh, mk groove orchestra little surprise record from John L. Nelson, the John L. Nelson project that is Prince's father's music. Really? Uh, as recorded by, speaking of, uh, by Lewis Hayes and band. Hmm. So it would be interesting to the podcast, folks. Uh, and I'm going to just rapid fire. Escaper, Molly Tentarelli, A.J. Gent, Pedal Steel, Logan Richardson, Prager, Middle Blue with Brad Farberman, Lakeisha Benjamin, Jay Phelps, uh, Mike Clark. Nice. There, we'll wrap it with that, with another drummer nice. for you. Nice. I love Mike. Oh, what a great dude. Yeah. And like the records that he's played on, it's just, you know, it's, it's scary. It's scary. That's the best way that, that's the best way I can describe it. So, um, well, cool. And what I'll do, I have a playlist through my email. Um, I have a Nick's Monday mix and every week I recommend a new record and then I put it on that playlist. So I'll throw some rope dope records on there as well. So people can check it out. I really love, I inter I actually interviewed Nate about two weeks before the record came out. Um, so 
I, I queued that up as soon as it came out and I've been listening to it ever since. It's a really great record, but a lot of, a lot of great record and dig into the, dig into the archives, man. You guys have gotten, you guys have put out some amazing records. Cause I mean, I've been following you guys since, you know, whatever the early 2000s. So I love you guys. All right. All right. We appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks. of course. And I appreciate you taking the time to chat. It was nice to, it was nice to connect with you after all these years again. So it was really, really cool to see that, that things are going well on your end and that you are continuing to put out great music. And for me, that's what it's all about, man. So I do appreciate it. All right, Nick. Thank you so much. All appreciate right. support and everything you do. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Good luck. So there you have it, the one and only Lewis Marks. For everything that we talk about, for links to all the stuff that we mentioned in this episode, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 362. And until the next episode, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.